Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from a panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Norma. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program. And this is a collaborative effort between the Brain Tumor Foundation and Cancer Care. And the topic today is update on glioblastoma in adults. And we're delighted to be partnering with the Brain Tumor Foundation on today's program. And you'll be hearing more about the Brain Tumor Foundation during this, during this uh, workshop. Today's program is supported by Bristol-Myers Squibb and a grant from Genentech. And I really want to thank them for their support of the program. Now, we have many people on the call today. We have, our two, we have over 210 participants on the call today. You come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, and suburban areas. And we also have international participants joining us today from Canada, Norway, Oman, Pakistan, Sweden, South Africa, Saudi Arabia, and the UK. So really um, a bit of global call as well. Um, and we have wonderful speakers on our program today. Now, before we begin um, our formal program, I would like to just ask you a few questions before the program starts. It gives us a sense of, of what you know just before the program begins, and it's very helpful to us as we plan future programs. So I'm going to start with the first question, and the first question is on a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. The question is, I understand current standard of care for glioblastoma. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the second question is, I have knowledge of novel treatment approaches. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the third question is, I know about immunotherapy and tumor treating fields for the treatment of glioblastoma. Again, one is the highest rating and five is the lowest rating. And there's just two more questions. This is the next one. I understand the importance of clinical trials for glioblastoma. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest. This is the last question before we start. Before we start, I know how to manage symptoms and treatment side effects. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I want to thank you all for participating in this in these questions. It really helps us enormously in planning programs. And now I'm going to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Jeffrey Bruce. Dr. Bruce is the Edgar M. Hausbian Professor of Neurological Surgery, Vice Chairman of Academic Affairs, New York Presbyterian Columbia University Medical Center. Director Bartoli Brain Tumor Research Laboratory, Co-Director Brain Tumor Center. And Dr. Bruce will be addressing an overview of glioblastoma in the context of COVID-19, current standard of care, novel treatment approaches including immunotherapy, the increasing role of telehealth, telemedicine appointments, and key questions to ask your healthcare team about quality of life concerns. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Bruce. Thank you, Carolyn. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be here with Cancer Care. I, I look forward to their teleconferences and all of the great work that this organization does for patients and their families. Uh, they really are a great source of uh, education and support for them. Um, I welcome all of our listeners out there today. Uh, this is certainly an unusual time for everyone. 
the COVID pandemic has created a lot of new challenges to patients who are coping with brain tumors, and we're going to touch on that a bit today. But let me begin a little bit by providing an overview of glioblastomas for those of you who are new to this topic. Uh, this is an exciting time to be in the brain tumor field as there are a lot of new advances in the diagnosis and treatment for glioblastoma. There are more scientists working on brain tumors than any time in our history. Now, glioblastomas are what we would call primary brain tumors. That is, they begin in the brain and they grow from within the brain. This is distinct from metastatic brain tumors, which are tumors that have spread from somewhere else in the body into the brain. And glioblastomas are malignant brain tumors and are the most common type of brain tumor. Although they can spread to other parts of the brain or spinal cord, they rarely spread to other parts of the body. They are invasive tumors, meaning they invade into the brain. So the treatment for them is designed to control the tumor at the location where they originate in the brain and, and, uh, and ad address those, those tumor cells that are invading into the surrounding brain. Although there are researchers out there who are trying to determine what causes brain tumors, at this point, no one really knows what causes them. Uh, we do know that there's nothing you did to cause your brain tumor, and there was nothing you could have done to prevent it. Glioblastomas are usually diagnosed when patients develop any of a number of symptoms. This can be headaches, seizures, weakness, balance problems, personality change, nausea. Most of those symptoms are going to depend on where the tumor is located in the brain. Uh, there are specific locations in the brain that can cause such things as speech difficulties or confusion about the right or left side of the body, balance problems or problems with fine motor functions such as writing or buttoning a shirt, problems understanding words or difficulty walking. Uh, any of these symptoms can lead your doctor to suspect a brain tumor, and that diagnosis is then made with an MRI scan. Of course, the biggest thing on everyone's mind right now is how COVID-19 is going to affect me and my brain tumor. You've all heard the warnings about avoiding contact by staying home and practicing strict isolation. Uh, patients who are older who have chronic illnesses are at a higher risk of getting COVID and have a more severe illness. We know that. Anyone with a brain tumor, especially those who are on steroids or chemotherapy, should consider themselves at high risk. Uh, there's no reason to think that the virus will affect your tumor growth or your response to treatment. However, the focus is really on avoiding exposure to the virus. Uh, in addition to being careful to wear masks and practice good hygiene, minimizing public exposure, uh, you can see your your uh, uh, you can talk to your doctor about having consultations or visits by phone or teleconference, and uh, you know we can talk more about that in a moment. Uh, this is easy to do and and helps minimize your exposure in public. Um, if you feel that you're getting symptoms of the virus, such as fever, loss of smell, headache, diarrhea, then obviously you want to contact your physician right away. And if you're undergoing radiation, chemotherapy, or you're in a clinical trial, you want to contact your medical team to coordinate in a care, your care in a way that minimizes your exposure. And just in general, now more than ever, uh, you want to stay as healthy as possible with good diet, exercise, and activity as a way of addressing issues of, of stress and just staying overall as healthy as possible. Let me switch to current standards of care. The current standard of care relies on surgery, followed by six weeks of radiation, and then chemotherapy with temodart or temozolomide. In the treatment of glioblastoma, the goal of surgery is to try and remove as much tumor as possible. And depending on where the tumor is located, a surgeon may be able to remove most of it or only a small portion of it. In some cases, only a small biopsy may be reasonable. The 
problem with these tumors is that they invade into the normal brain, so it's not possible to completely remove them. There are a variety of techniques and tools that are making surgery safer than ever, and surgery accomplishes two goals. One is to remove some of the mass effect on the brain that the tumor is causing. The other is to provide tissue to give to the pathologist so that he or she can make the actual diagnosis. And pathologists now have very sophisticated methods of analyzing the tumor and looking at molecular characteristics of the tumor, which give you an idea about prognosis and potentially response to treatment. You may be familiar with some of these terms, such as methylation status or IDH mutation. These are some of the things that correlate uh, well with uh, uh, glioblastoma expectations. Once the surgery is complete and the patient has recovered, he or she will undergo 30 treatments of radiation therapy. This is generally given Monday through Friday for six weeks. It's generally painless, but some of the side effects can include hair loss or tiredness, skin irritation. Radiation works by damaging the DNA in tumor cells that cause the tumor cells to grow. The amount of radiation given is designed to have the maximal effect on killing tumor cells while avoiding damage to normal brain tissue. Chemotherapy is given as well. The standard chemotherapy is a drug called temozolomide, otherwise known as temodar. This drug has been shown to be effective at slowing down tumor growth. It's sometimes given during the radiation and sometimes given after. In any event, it is effective in either manner that, it's, that it is given. Um, so that's sort of the standard of care for glioblastoma. I want to switch and talk a little bit about new treatment approaches. As I mentioned earlier, this has never been a better time for brain tumor research. Uh, there are a variety of new treatments that are being developed. The ones that people are most familiar with are different types of chemotherapy and the very promising area of immunotherapy. There are many new drugs being developed all the time that are designed to target the growth of brain tumors. Some of the novel treatment approaches include ways to alter the chemotherapy so that it penetrates better into the brain. Also, many of these drugs are designed to have less side effects and to be more effective at killing the tumor cells. With the advances in molecular biological techniques, scientists have been able to determine very detailed molecular and genetic analysis of individual tumors. This has led to a lot of excitement into what you might have heard as a personalized therapy. What this means is that scientists can analyze a given tumor and determine what parts of the tumor are causing the growth and how they're different from other people's tumors. With that in mind, it may be possible to develop specific drugs that target these individual problems and an individual person's tumor. This work is very preliminary and has not really been developed to the point that it can be mass produced for every individual, but that is hopefully something on the horizon. And in the future, it may be very possible to have treatment tailored specifically for your tumor. There are other types of drugs out there that are designed to affect the blood vessels in the brain or to block invasion of the brain. Also, there are some new methods of drug delivery that are being tested, including a strategy known as convection-enhanced delivery, where high doses of drugs are pumped directly into the tumor and into the surrounding brain tumor. Finally, there are some new developments in everything from gene therapy and the use of viruses to attack certain parts of the tumor. These treatments are part of a trend known as biological therapies, where specialized viruses or bacteria and products from them can be used to kill cancer cells. These sophisticated treatments have been worked out in research laboratories for many years and are just getting into the clinic now for clinical trials. They're holding out a lot of hope because they represent entirely new approaches to treatment. One of the very promising areas for brain tumors is the field of immunotherapy. These are treatments that are use vaccines and other similar strategies to help the body's own immune system 
to eliminate the tumor. The immune system in human beings is really remarkable. It's what allows you to get rid of viruses and bacteria that cause the flu and other types of infections. Basically, the immune system recognizes viruses and bacteria as foreign invaders, and they are then destroyed by the immune cells in the body, just like in your Pac-Man video games, if you remember them. Interestingly, the immune system also recognizes tumor cells in the same way they recognize bacteria and viruses. So tumor cells like glioblastoma are viewed as foreign invaders by the immune system, and the immune system responds by stimulating an immune response. Unfortunately, the tumor cells tend to grow faster than the immune system can destroy them. So much of the research out there now is to design new vaccines or drugs that can boost the immune system response. Much of the immunotherapy work is still at a very early stage, but these results are very provocative and promising. The most promising areas include the use of vaccines made from the parts of the tumor itself or the harvesting and expansion of powerful immune cells such as T cells or dendritic cells that actually attack the tumor. One of the newest highly personal immunotherapies is something called CAR T cell therapy, where CAR stands for chimeric antigen receptor. This treatment takes T cells from the blood, which are a special type of immune cell, and alters them so that they bind to a specific protein known as an antigen on the patient's cancer cell. These CAR T cells are then grown in large numbers in the laboratory and then infused back into the patient. The goal is to make these T cells better at recognizing brain cancer cells and also to make them more powerful in killing the tumor cells. There's also a number of very promising drugs involving immunotherapy and those drugs that boost the immune system. You may have heard of something called checkpoint inhibitors, which are among the most promising, being, uh, most promising of these types of immune drugs that are being tested. Immune modifiers are given in combination with other immunotherapies such as vaccines. Um, let me talk a little bit about the increasing role of telehealth and telemedicine appointments. The COVID pandemic has brought out new challenges to providing quality care. One of the positive things that come, has come out of this, however, has been the increased use of telemedicine appoint, appointments. Although sometimes there is no substitute for actually seeing a patient in person to be able to communicate effectively, at the same time, many of these encounters with your physician don't really have to be in person. We've all greatly expanded the use of telemedicine. The big advantages are saving the time and effort that it takes to go to drive to the doctor's office, find and pay for parking, wait in the office. It also makes it difficult for family members to accompany them. Telemedicine has made it very easy to communicate with patients and their families. The quality of video and audio has improved dramatically and has made a real benefit for managing patients safely. And as the pandemic subsides and people become vaccinated, it will become safe to have in-person visits again. However, I predict that many patients will still choose to do many of their visits by telemedicine in the future. Finally, I want to talk about communicating with your healthcare team. First of all, it's important to seek reputable specialists. It's helpful to find people who are specialists specifically in brain tumors. It's easier than ever to find these people with the use of the internet. And also by working with support groups and groups like cancer care, this can be easily accomplished. Some questions to ask when you see your doctor are, what options do I have for treatment? What are the risks and most common side effects? Should I have a second opinion? Do I need to start treatment right away? What, what is the most effective way to communicate with you and your team? It's important to have some control over your lifestyle, given the inconveniences of seeing doctors and getting tests and treatments. Keeping a notebook or using your smartphone to jot down notes and reminders will help you to make sure that you're not overwhelmed by dealing with your condition. This way, when you see your doctor, you can make sure that your questions are answered and you can make sure that your instructions are understood. You may also want to make sure that other health professionals, such as your primary care doctor, are kept informed 
so they can coordinate your overall care. It's important to keep an honest dialogue with your family so they can understand what you're going through and can help you make decisions. Also, I would be skeptical of anecdotes, no matter how well-meaning. There are no two patients who are exactly alike, and I would be very careful about trying to apply something you've heard about another patient to your specific case. It also may be useful to have second opinions if time is available. Having other opinions can help refine and formulate your questions. It's also important to work with your healthcare team and friends and family so that you can maintain the highest quality of life possible. This is very doable. Just because you have a brain tumor, no one's saying that you can't visit a mall or enjoy a birthday party, have a nice meal, watch a movie. It's important to continue to live your life to the highest degree possible despite any diagnosis or side effects that you may be suffering. This is by far the best way to cope with your tumor. So with that, I'm going to stop here and turn the program over to my friend and colleague, Dr. Eric Wong. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Bruce. That was really outstanding and just a wonderful presentation. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, and you've really set a really wonderful context for today's program, so thank you. And indeed, our next speaker is Dr. Eric Wong, and Dr. Wong is um, Associate Professor of Neurology, Harvard Medical School, Director of the Neuro-Oncology Unit, Co-Director, Brain Tumor Center, Department of Neurolo Neurology, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. And Dr. Wong will be addressing tumor treating fields, clinical trial updates, how research contributes to treatment options, managing symptoms, treatment side effects, discomfort and follow-up care, the role of rehabilitation medicine, guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments with your healthcare team, including technology and list of questions. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Wong. Well, thank you very much, Carolyn. Thank you for this great introduction. And welcome to the second part of Update on Glioblastoma in Adults. So the first topic that I would like to talk about is tumor treating fields. And as you may know, tumor treating fields or TT fields are actually alternating electric fields that has anti-tumor properties. It is delivered by a device called Optune and patients have to apply two pairs of electrode arrays on the scalp after they shave their hair. The arrays are connected to a portable electric field generator, and this is approved by the United States Food and Drug Administration for the treatment of recurrent and newly diagnosed glioblastoma. Now, it is almost a decade uh, now uh, from the first approval, because the first approval uh, uh, happened on April 8, 2011 for recurrent glioblastoma. After extensive review by an outside expert panel. In October 2015, tumor treating fields were approved for use in newly diagnosed glioblastoma because it showed a uh, definite survival advantage when compared to uh, 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 treatment controls. And uh, the clinical trial that, was, that this approval was based on was called EF14, and tumor treating fields were combined with temozolomide after patients received radiation and daily temozolomide. And there was uh, an if the experimental group of patients who received tumor treating fields, uh, uh, there was an increase in progression-free survival and also overall survival. Now, this is now this is um, uh, very important uh, because participation in clinical trials, and I will go into uh, a little bit about participation in clinical trial. Uh, it is you as patients who participate in clinical trials that can help us to advance therapies for you as well as for other patients. And um, there is a government website called www.clinicaltrial.gov, and it lists all the clinical trials in the United States and also outside the United States. 
And I would encourage all patients with glioblastoma, if they are eligible to participate in clinical trials, to seriously consider participation. And it is from these trials that we can get a better understanding of this disease and how to treat it. And when you participate in it, you will become the first beneficiary of uh, this potentially new treatment, as well as helping others to advance uh, 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 treatment for glioblastoma patients. Now, let me say a few things about different types of clinical trials. There are phase one, phase two, phase three, and phase four clinical trials. In phase one, whenever something is new that comes out, it goes into phase one testing. And phase one trials are usually small, involving about 10 to 30 patients, and the goal is to establish whether or not the treatment is safe. And for drugs, uh, to establish what is the maximum tolerated dose. Then, if, it's, if the treatment is deemed safe, it goes into phase two, in which in a smaller population, we would test it uh, to see, to get a rough idea of how well it works. And if that is still promising, we would continue to go into a randomized phase three clinical trial in which the new therapy would be combined with the standard of care compared to the standard care alone. Once it's approved by the Food and Drug Administration, um, the agency may require additional uh, trial called phase four trial in, in order to obtain additional safety data. Now, there are a lot of clinical trials going on right now, and as Dr. Bruce alluded to, uh, we are in an exciting time for uh, glioblastoma patients because there are a lot of clinical trials uh, going on right now, particularly in the area of immune therapy. I just want to make the point that there are two major categories of immune therapy. One is the passive immune therapy, and the other one is the active immune therapy. Um, as you may heard about uh, checkpoint inhibitors, there are other inhibitors called IDO inhibitors, and sometimes patients may get a cocktail of specific tumor antigens. And, and the purpose of these treatments is to either take the brick off the immune system so that immune cells can do its job to, to uh, destroy tumor cells or to um, kickstart, jumpstart the, um, the uh, immune system to attack the tumor. In active immune therapy, uh, there are active immune therapies that uses, for example, an oncolytic virus, and that would require an expert surgeon like Dr. Bruce to inject the virus into the tumor to inflame it so that uh, it and destroy mission. Now, when patients are on immune therapy, it is very important to remove all the immune-suppressive drugs. One of them that we use very often in the treatment of uh, brain tumor patients is desimethasone. And it has been shown that desimethasone can certainly weaken uh, the benefits of immune therapies. So if you have to be on it, it is best to use the minimum dose that is necessary in order to get the maximum effect for, from immune therapies. Now, desimethasone is a very, very good drug for symptom management. And I will go into, uh, a few, say, a few words about uh, how to manage various types of symptoms, and particularly in those patients who requires rehabilitation. Because Patients with glioblastoma can have various adverse events. So, for example, they may have a seizure. And after a seizure, they may uh, have, depending on the location of the tumor, weakness or uh, uh, inability to talk or having balance problem. And they are hospitalized. And during their hospitalization, their neuro-oncologists or their neurosurgeons would do everything that they can to stabilize the tumor, uh, uh, to stabilize the patient, 
and and eventually uh, send them to rehabilitation facilities so that they can back, get back to baseline. And during that period of time, we really need to maximize the patient's neurological function before they are sent to rehabilitation. And there are a number of medications that we can use to really do that. One of them is desimethasone. It decreases the swelling in the brain. But there are other medications, so for example, methylphenidate. Uh, another common name for methylphenidate is Ritalin that patients use, that patients can take in order to activate their brain so that they can benefit from the one week or two weeks of rehabilitation state. A third medication would be a medicine called cinnamon. This is actually a, Parkins, a, a medication for patients with Parkinson's disease, but sometimes cinnamon can help patients to activate the brain and activate the motor pathway so that they can truly benefit from rehabilitation. Now, let me say a few words about uh, the COVID vaccination because a lot of my patients ask me whether or not it is okay to do so. And, in, and the way that vaccine works is to activate the immune system so, so that the immune system can generate memory immune cells so that the patient is ready when the real virus attacks the body. Now, the CDC has a very good webpage on understanding how vaccine works. And I would urge uh, you to visit the website, and I'm sure that uh, Cancer Care can provide a link to that. So in order to do that, your body needs a healthy immune system. So, um, so uh, any immunosuppressive drug may interfere with the vaccine, so it is important to keep it to a minimum or eliminate that. Or when patients who are on cytotoxic chemotherapies, uh, and as you know, cytotoxic chemotherapies like temozolomide or lomastine may drop the white blood cell counts. And when your white blood cell count is low, that may not be the best time to get the vaccine. You, uh, you probably have to wait until uh, the counts come back. So speak to your pro provider or doctor in order to figure out what is the optimal time to get the COVID-19 vaccine. There is one drug, however, that is used in glioblastoma patients that I don't think it will interfere with the COVID vaccine, and that is bevacizumib or Avastin, because uh, it does not actually impair the immune system. Now, as Dr. Bruce alluded to, uh, during this COVID health crisis, we are using telehealth very often. And I don't think there's a going back to to the uh, pre-COVID-19 era in which patients have to travel to the medical center in order to see various physicians. And there are advantages and disadvantages of telehealth. The advantage is that you stay home in isolation. You don't have to go outside, uh, potentially be exposed to COVID. Um, it is convenient. Uh, patients and their caretakers are not stressed. You don't have to drive on the highway. You don't, you don't have to fight for traffic, and you don't have to find parking in order to, to, to be at the doctor's office on time. The disadvantages, however, however is that uh, uh, there are times that uh, uh, a doctor cannot physically examine the patient. So, for example, a patient... A, a physician cannot put a stethoscope on your heart or or um, or uh, on your lungs uh, or for neurologists uh, to perform a neurological examination by checking your vision, by checking your uh, reflexes. Um, uh, uh, so because of that, uh, it is very, very important uh, that you may want to... Uh, um, use an iPad or a uh, webcam uh, that has uh, a view of yours that allows the doctors to see uh, your, your entire body uh, because, uh, be, because he can observe you rather than having just your eyes or just your face. Uh, another thing has to do with technology. Because uh, you know, patients with glioblastomas, they are um, uh, they are often elderly patients, 
and uh, you may want to have your children or your or even your grandchildren to uh, get the technology working uh, 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 for the telehealth visit. Have an iPad ready, have a webcam ready, and and learn how and, and learn how how to use them. And lastly, make sure that you are prepared with a list of all of your questions as well as a list of all of your medications so that you can utilize the time to um to um uh, to allow your your doctor to fully uh understand your situation and your clinical condition so with that um i will be happy to later on answer any questions that you may have and i will turn this um venue to the third part uh to uh to Mr. Michael Schreiber. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Wong. That was outstanding and just a wonderful presentation. And um, and also um, just you're really also covering many of the new treatments um, and as well as actually um, the, really going in more detail about the telehealth and telemedicine appointments and how we may hold on to them for a while into the future for appointments that don't require people to travel in. So thank you very much for that. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. And our next speaker is... Uh, Mr. Michael Schreiber, and Mr. Schreiber is Chairman, Brain Tumor Foundation, and Mr. Schreiber will be, and he is, um, the Brain Tumor Foundation is a partner with us on today's program, and we're delighted to be working with them, and we hope that they will continue working with us on each program we do on glioblastoma, Um, and uh, Mr. Schreiber will be addressing Brain Tumor Foundation's free programs and services that you'll be able to access, and it's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Mr. Schreiber. Thank you very kindly, Doctor. Um, at this point, I would like to give a little bit of a brief background on the Brain Tumor Foundation and the origins of it. Uh, the Brain Tumor Foundation was founded over 20 years ago by Dr. Pat Kelly, who at the time was the chairman of neurosurgery at NYU Medical Center. And he saw how patients and families were at a loss in getting information, in accessing the best doctors and hospitals around the country, even around the world in finding out different treatment options, the latest in clinical trials, and in figuring out what life looks like after surgery. Uh, Pat Kelly was considered one of the best in the field, and he knew that patients and their families needed a lot more after the surgery and the chemo and the radiation. Uh, I, as most of the people on the phone call, have heard those dreaded, scariest words that you have a brain tumor. Uh, when I went to accompany my father to his first appointment back in 1993, um, so there's a little bit of a kinship here between me and most of the people on the uh, phone line. Today, the Brain Tumor Foundation provides guidance and support to patients and their families. We help to educate the public about the need for early detection, and through our research project, we provide free brain scans using a mobile MRI unit as well as fixed radiology sites. Uh, we partner with Columbia University's Mailman Institute. We compile a bunch of information, which we hope will eventually uh, help to find a cure um, and find out why and where brain tumors come from. Uh, we also provide medical referrals uh, as well as hosting support groups for patients with malignant and non-malignant brain tumors and for caregivers. We also develop a menu of services which help parents and grandparents of pediatric patients, including a new kids app that we're in the midst of sharing with medical professionals at children's hospitals around the country. We also sponsor such events as Brain Tumor Awareness Day. Uh, we're working on hosting a Zoom event for later in the spring. Uh, we also have had for many years now a team of runners with the New York City Marathon. Um, because of COVID, some of our projects have been on hold or delayed, but it seems that things are, are picking up now. Um, one of the things that the Brain Tumor Foundation uh, really is our, our tagline is something to the effect that people shouldn't be uh, struggling with brain tumors on their own. And that's really what the Brain Tumor Foundation is there for. We want to provide support uh, and do as much as we can for patients and their caretakers. Well, I, 
Thank you very much, Mr. Schreiber. That was really, really wonderful and just an incredible description of the Brain Tumor Foundation. And for those of you who may not have contacted the Brain Tumor Foundation, we really recommend that you do. We'll give you all the um, contact information for reaching out to them for their services. It's just a wonderful organization, and we are really honored to be partnering with them today on this program and really hope to do so going forward on all of our programs on, um, on glioblastoma. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm sure there'll be questions for you also, uh, Mr. Scheiber, during the Q&A. Um, I'm just going to say a few words about cancer care, um, just that, um, so as another resource, um, but more of a general resource. Um, cancer care um, is uh, uh, been around since 1944, and it's actually an organization that provides um, free um, oncology social work services. Um, to people um, living with all types of cancer, um, that includes glioblastoma, but really every type of cancer, um, and to all ages, and um, and and it's also national in scope. And um, the programs that we provide are comprehensive in the sense that we offer we have a hope line, um, so you can call our hope line, and you'll get all that information. Of course, um, you've probably gotten some of that information already from us, but you'll be getting information again. In your in a survey monkey evaluation about um, about how to access services from cancer care, both our website and our a hope line, and also the same will be true for the brain tumor foundation as well um, however um, we so we do offer um, a really practical and financial assistance to people we offer a case management services online support groups. Um, we have these type of workshops and, of course, offer a variety of uh, publications as well so that lots of different services um, to reach many different needs. Um, and um, so we hope that um, that you'll take advantage of that. And people can actually call our Hope Line really just with a question or concern and talk with one of our oncology social workers and then take it from there in terms of which services they wish to access. Now, with that being said, we are going to just ask you just a few questions before we move on to the Q&A. So I'm going to, again, we're going to again um, ask you to participate in just a few uh, questions. Um, again, uh, five questions at the end, and then to see, um, again, we're, we're trying to get a sense of perhaps um, uh, what you've learned in the program itself. So this first question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater knowledge of current standard of care for glioblastoma. Again, high, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I feel more confident in participating in novel treatment approaches. Again, one is the highest rating, five the lowest rating. The next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I am more likely to participate in immunotherapy and tumor treating fields for the treatment of glioblastoma. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. Now just two more questions before we go to the Q&A. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I am more likely to participate in, clinical, in a clinical trial for glioblastoma. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be our last question. As a result of this workshop, I have greater confidence in working with the healthcare team on how to manage symptoms and treatment side effects. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. I just very much want to thank you all for participating in these questions. Um, uh, it really helps us to get a sense of what you've learned and, again, in terms of our planning future programs. And now we're going to move on to the Q&A. So I'm going to ask Norma to bring all of our speakers on board. And Norma will explain to you how to queue up for questions. I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Norma? Thank you. 
Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. And again, okay. to ask a question, please press star 1. We have a question from one of our um, uh, online participants for Dr. Bruce. How does chemotherapy placed in the brain during surgery different from oral chemotherapy pills? Well, uh, there are two different methods of putting chemotherapy into the brain. One method that's been around for a long time are called gliadel wafers. And these are little polymers. They look like a, a little disc. And after the tumor is removed, these discs are physically placed in the cavity where the tumor has been removed. And over time, those those um, polymers dissolve, and as they dissolve, they release chemotherapy directly into the tumor and surrounding brain. And uh, these, this treatment's been around for a while, and the uh, the benefits have only been modest. They really haven't made a big impact, but it's, this is a, a treatment that that we have had for some time. So that's that's one way of delivering uh, drugs directly. There's an, another method called convection-enhanced delivery, and the way this works, this is an experimental treatment. It's not approved yet, but it's being done in, in some experimental trials. A catheter is placed in the in the tumor or in the surrounding brain in the operating room, and then that catheter is connected with some tubing to uh, a pump, and that pump slowly pumps the drug directly into the tumor. Now if you pump this drug too quickly, it just squirts up around the catheter. It doesn't really penetrate. But if you if you deliver the drug slowly, literally at the rate of several drops an hour, what happens is you get this high concentration of the drug at the tip of the catheter, and it pushes through the tumor and the surrounding brain, and it allows you to get very high concentrations of the drug in the tumor and brain, and it avoids all the side effects that you get with chemotherapy because the drug is only in the brain. It's not going through the rest of the body, through the bloodstream, and, and causing all of the side effects that you get with chemotherapy. So, again, this is a, a, a very promising uh, area of research, and there have actually been some human clinical trials with it, uh, but all very very preliminary, but, but uh, hopefully something that will work out in the future. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and um, a question for um, uh, for Dr. Um, Wong, um, if you could say a little bit more about when when our tumor treating fields used in the treatment algorithm for um, glioblastoma. Okay, so tumor treating fields is. Uh, FDA approved for both recurrent and newly diagnosed glioblastoma. Um, most of the patients uh, who uh, receive tumor treating fields in my practice are either um, after their radiation or at the time of recurrence. Um, so uh, patients, as, as you heard earlier, when patients are initially diagnosed with a glioblastoma, they undergo maximum safe surgical resection, and after that, they get radiation and daily temozolomide. And after the radiation is done, then patients would go into taking the temozolomide uh, for a number of cycles, either six or more. Um, it is during that period of time in the adjuvant phase after radiation that tumor-treating fields is added to temozolomide. So patients take temozolomide, and patients also wear the device uh, on their head, uh, and both were applied after radiation. Now, another way of entering uh, into the treatment is at the time of recurrence. And um, and and uh, at the time of recurrence, the tumor treating fields uh, can be used as a uh, standalone device. 
Excellent. Thank you. Um, and um, a question uh, for um, for Dr. Bruce. Um, so, um, let's see, let's see. After initial surgery, when markers indicate that a patient might not respond to standard of care, um, what then might be their options um, in terms of other treatments? And standard well, of care meaning this person means chemotherapy and radiation. Yeah. Well, so uh, uh, radiation is effective for for all tumors, regardless of what your biomarkers may show. And so radiation is is given for everybody. Um, as most people probably know, the, what is known as the MGMT methylation status, depending on that will determine whether your tumor is more or less likely to respond to temozolomide. And so temozolomide uh, is often given, though, even, even if the methylation status suggests that it might not be effective because uh there is there there does seem to be some um marginal effect in in patients even if they have the so-called wrong methylation status so certainly everybody should get uh radiation and then you have the 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 other options that they've, that you've heard about such as the uh tumor treating fields that Dr. Wong spoke about and then there are any of a number of different experimental treatments if you want to pursue those. But mostly uh, the thing would be to, to get the radiation therapy, and in many cases, people still get uh, Temidar. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and, um, and then there is a question um, for, for Dr. Wong. Um, what are your thoughts about the overuse of steroids? Uh, um uh well i think uh uh patients and also uh doctors uh also have to judiciously use steroids um uh, is a very good drug because it decreases the brain swelling making patients more functional okay but on the other hand um uh, suppresses the immune system so one always have to strike a balance between maximizing the patient's function while minimizing the um, immune suppressive aspect of the uh, of the uh, desamethasone. So if one has to use desamethasone, uh, he or she may want to see if they can wean it to a minimum dose that that can make them functional. Uh, to give you an idea, the maximum dose of desamethasone is like four milligrams every six hours, and the dose that in our neuro oncology community and among doctors who do clinical trials for immunotherapy. We often restrict the steroid usage to approximately four milligrams once a day or even lower to two milligrams once a day. So if at all possible, uh, if you don't need it, if you don't need 16 milligrams a day, win it down to as low as possible so that uh, uh, you may qualify for immunotherapy trials. And also, in addition to suppressing the immune system, Desamethasone uh, also have other uh, side effects, such as triggering type 2 diabetes, uh, making patients gain weight, and uh, and uh, making their skin fragile uh, to have bruises. So for all these reasons, I think it is best to use the steroid uh, to keep the steroid dose at a minimum. Excellent. Thank you. That's an excellent question and a great answer. Thank you. Um, and um, a question from Mr. Schreiber. Um, a lot of people are asking how they can um, contact um, the Brain Tumor Foundation. And so although we're going to include that, of course, when they get, I think people are just eager to know um, how they should go ahead and, and, and call or visit the website. What would you recommend, Mr. Schreiber? Uh, our, our website is www.braintumorfoundation.org. Uh, we can also be reached by phone, 212-265-2401. Uh, 
Um, you know, we've been doing this for a while, so we field a lot of phone calls from, you know, uh, people who are just newly diagnosed and they're kind of wading through the world of, you know, you have a brain tumor and what does that mean? So, you know, we're very, very responsive both via phone and people who want to go ahead and check out the website and see what we have to offer first, you know, whichever option is, uh, you know, the person's preference, um, they could do either. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I, I know that a number of people are going to be calling, so I can see from all these questions. So thank you. Thanks a lot. Um, and also just very reassuring that, that um, the phone and website, that's terrific for people to know that. Thank you. Um, and um, so another question for Dr. Um, um, Dr. Wong, in terms of any side effects from using electrical Actually, to a treating field, so glioblastoma. If so, um, what might they be, and how are they addressed? Sure. Um, uh, uh, please understand that every therapy that we apply to patients with glioblastoma has potential side effects, and tumor treating fields is no exception. Uh, however tumor-treating fields uh, does not have what we call systemic side effects, meaning that it does not affect your white blood cell count, it does not affect your platelet count, uh, it doesn't make you uh, make, make your stomachs hurt or, or you feel sick from using uh, tumor-treating fields. Most of the side effects are localized on the head, uh, primarily causing a kind of um, uh, redness and uh, uh, potentially burns at that at uh, at times, uh, the scalp would be red, and it can be uh, treated with a cortical steroid cream on the scalp, or just um, just uh, remove the arrays for 24 to 48 hours, uh, taking a holiday from from the arrays. So uh, they are comparatively milder and uh, potentially safer than uh, systemic chemotherapy drug. Um, so, excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, well, I actually want to thank all of our speakers. You've really been phenomenal. Um, um, and um, well, there's one one last like breaking question. I'm going to give it to Dr. Bruce, and then we'll we will wind up. Um, uh, Dr. Bruce, um, my sister was given Avastin during her treatment. Where does that fit in? Well, you know, Avastin is one of those drugs that seems like it may have an effect in a relatively small number of patients, and right now it's hard to predict who's likely to benefit of it, from it. And so this is this is a, a drug that's often given after other drugs have failed. So it's really just another in the armamentarium, and that's hard for me to to comment on a specific case other than to say it's it's one of those drugs that's been out there and seems to have a reasonably uh, safe toxicity profile in other words um, it's it's usually pretty well tolerated so it's something that's that's given as a uh, as one of the additional drugs in the in the armamentarian and it seems to work by you know blocking the growth of, of blood vessels that's sort of its primary role but it seems to have some other secondary effects thank you well I want to thank each of our speakers who've been phenomenal I want to ask each of our speakers to actually um, provide just a takeaway for all of, from each for all of you um, and I'm going to have them pre, uh, speak in the order that they presented so I'm going to ask Dr. Bruce to go first then Dr. Wong, then um, Mr. Schreiber. So, well, I, as, as, as I said uh, earlier in, in, in my talk, there's never been a better time to be doing brain tumor research. There's never been more opportunities in the, the field for developing new and better treatments. So uh, I think that the, the future and finding new and better treatments is very optimistic, and uh, I think that's the takeaway message here. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Dr. Wang? Dr. Wang? Uh, I just want to say that uh, during this COVID crisis, and I'm sure that a lot of our brain tumor patients are, are having a tough time navigating the medical environment and also in their neighborhoods, but there is light at the end of the tunnel, and I would urge uh, everyone to, um, to eventually get vaccinated in a safe and uh, 
in a safe manner and uh and uh and and eventually to get optimum treatment or participating in clinical trial or both. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And and um and Mr. Schreiber. Uh brain tumor patients and the families shouldn't struggle with brain tumors on their own. Uh the Brain Tumor Foundation is here to help. Wonderful resource. Thank you. Wonderful. Um, I want to again thank our speakers. I want to thank all of our participants as well who asked really such wonderful questions. I know that there are many more of you in queue. Um, we'll have many more questions. And um, I, for those of you who asked a question today and for those of you who um, have listened to someone else's question but didn't get to ask your question, we would ask you to go back to your treating healthcare team with either the information you've ga- with the information you've gained today and see how it applies best to you because they have obviously know the very best. Um, and um, also, please take advantage of the resources. The Brain Tumor Foundation is just a wonderful resource for all of you. Um, for more and for anybody who needs other services uh, from Cancer Care. You can use our services as well, um, but I think um, for those of you who are um, who are uh, living with a glioblastoma, the Brain Tumor Foundation is really a go-to organization to go to, and definitely um, we all work together collaboratively, so that's really important for all of you to know. We don't want anyone one of you to leave this call feeling that you're alone. We want you to know that you're now part of a, a community of support, and we're all here to help you, starting with your healthcare team. Um, from the organizations mentioned today, and from this really a huge community of support for you out there. So please take advantage of it. Um, And again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.